Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Foggy with the Chance of Seagulls. My name is Clark. As always, I'm joined by my friend Evan, recapping another, I don't know, lackluster. Is that a good word for it, Evan? Week of Giants baseball. <laughs> Great word you for it. I'm doing good, you know. Um, there is a, an article pretty soon into an episode to talk about the Grand Brisbane article, but there was an article that he published um, after that Cubs series that was essentially said this Giants team is unwatchable. And that's pretty much true. Um, so I've had a decent week. I am fully COVID free, which is nice testing negative. Um, and yeah, kind of, I, I'm interested to talk about the Giants this week. Um, it's there's, there's ire that there's (laughs) that I think we're here to explore today, but, um, maybe we can quickly talk through what happened, uh, this week first before we dissect jump into it yeah um no i think i think it in many ways it feels like we hit kind of a low low point of the season which it feels like almost every other week we're saying that which is not a good (laughs) sign for the overall health of the team this year but yeah we uh wrapped up a series with the cubs where we just got absolutely smoked just like their offense could not stop and it was truly some of the guys that we would have in a fantasy world loved to have signed over the last couple of seasons. Um, Seiya Suzuki was a superhuman. Um, Dansby was pretty good. Bellinger looked good. You know, these are guys that Evan and I, before starting a podcast together, um, all really saw a good fit um, on the Giants. We'll explore a little bit, you know, if we could have signed him, should have signed him what have you. Um, but we got properly trounced by the cubbies, um, which had some serious wildcard implications. So we fell out of the wild card this week and we were already on thin ice, uh, so to speak. And then we came home, um, had a wild Friday night game, um, a back and forth affair, which, um, I'm at a wedding this weekend, so I only got to watch kind of the replay and and some of the highlights and stuff, but I was following the score and I remarked that it wasn't a good sign for the overall quality of our team that we're this competitive with the Rockies and, um, yeah, having a tight battle with them. Um, some umpire miscues in that game for sure. Um, but overall we came out with a, a big win, which, Seemed like it uh, was a pretty big deal in the clubhouse. Kyle Harrison pitched that game, gave up a few runs, but overall continues to look pretty good. And then Saturday, we uh, finally scored some runs for old Logan um, and uh, whooped up on the uh, rocks, which was fun. And then this morning, Sunday, we're hoping for a, a three-game sweep, which would go a long way for our chances this year. But yeah, that's the recap of the week did i leave anything out um no not really i mean that Cubs series was embarrassing um i would mm-hmm. say as as a fan it was it it looked really bad for a team that theoretically we should have been competitive with based on record um they just look a lot better um and i think that um there was that I think before the that nine eight uh, Rockies game, uh, 
Farhan had talked to the players or something for a little pump up moment um, was like basically like trying to get them to buy and to be like, raise your hand if you think that I don't know what the question was exactly, but um, raise your hand if you think that we can make the postseason this year. And uh, I and people people bought it at least a little bit. But um, I think, you know, this team is it feels like we're running out of gas and we've had to put like diesel in it in the car or mm-hmm. something. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like um, the we're leaking oil and um, I think where a few weeks ago I maybe got a little bit excited about Tyro uh, giving a speech to the team. It's just like, I don't know. There's not much that can be done now. And honestly, like um, I, I don't mean this in a pessimistic way, but um, a series against the Rockies really kind of means nothing. Ultimately, like it is, it does math up magically. Obviously, we do have the slim chance, and I think the Giants, you know, they have it in their hands if they want to decide to hit the baseball and um, and do all the other parts of uh, baseball correctly. But realistically, the Rockies. I just looked; they have a negative two hundred nineteen. Um, run differential and are 51 and 90 so it's like there's only so much stock that we can put on it and um and so it would be great to get this get this win but like you were saying i think uh scratching and clawing to beat the rockies 9-8 at home is like that means something is not quite right um yesterday's win is great but like they we needed a lot more of those uh throughout the season um so I'd also yeah, say you know. it's, yeah, it's not a great sign when every other week we have to have a pump up speech given to the team <laughs> that it just feels yeah. like that we're, and I think the fatigue thing that you're talking about and kind of lack of gas is what we're seeing. Um, and it just feels like we're stuck in the mud, really trying to push through to the end of this year. And um yeah, it just does not feel a sustainable. It doesn't feel like we should be here. I mean, other teams are not struggling this badly. Um, and again, it's like a fatigue thing. It feels like it just guys are slow to hit fastballs. You know, it's like things that we're seeing that way. And then kind of behind the scenes, what we're hearing. So, um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's been, as we've said, dire lately, but um, I think what we wanted to examine today is the idea that something has gone wrong at some point uh, in the season, possibly before, possibly many years before. And it's been a while, honestly, since I've seen, um, you know, I'm, I'm not even on, you know, Twitter or X or whatever um, and or listening to KNVR, but um, I think for me, my metric is like, even in the athletic to be seeing pe- like 500, 600 comments on like, my God. on, you know, the articles about the giants, it's just like, people are angry. And I think that, um, you know, traditionally on the show, we've been, uh, a bit of apologists for, for Farhan and Gabe. And I think that we like a lot of the things that they've done and there's lots of good things to acknowledge from how they've um, taken over this org. But ultimately um, we want to watch winning baseball. <laughs> and ultimately, we're not yes. getting that. 
I agree. And um, I think that what's worth doing is just kind of talking through a lot of issues that fans are having lately. And honestly, you know, it's like I have those issues. Like I, I have no allegiance ultimate. Like we both own in Farhan, we trust shirts, but at the end of the day, it's like, <laughs> I like the guy, but it's like, I'm not going to go to war for him, nor will I for Kapler. Like I, I as a fan want to be invested and it's been a bit of a chore to be invested in this team lately. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to try to like talk through some of some of the potential things that we uh, we are seeing as uh, as criticisms that are being levied and also maybe some of our own thoughts and think through it from, you know, a vaguely impartial um, place, acknowledging too that we don't know wh- how, what exactly went wrong here. Uh, we can can do our best to guess, but um you know we're just we're just gonna attack this as fans and i think to be a fan right now to recognize that things aren't quite where they need to be um so does that feel good to you do you, do you feel ready feels to, good yeah. i think if i if i can start with just kind of a look back um please farhan zaidi was hired in 2019 he had just come from the dodgers um and before that um i don't know if it's like the post Moneyball A's is the right way to put it, but kind of the mid 2000s A's. It's when he got started in baseball. Again, he was part of the Andrew Friedman um, group that really took the Dodgers to a new level. And Friedman had come from the Rays. So they took the Rays and A's team building with no budget, put it into the Dodgers. Um, um, system where they could spend as much money as they wanted with new ownership. And as we can see, the Dodgers are thriving because of this philosophy. So I think the idea with this was bring that, you know, a few hours North to San Francisco, um, take what was a pretty horrendous 2017 to 2019. Um, and yeah, rebuild this organization. Um, and obviously the pandemic, happened um posey retired you know there are things and we're going to get into some of the specifics here but you know it's going to be five years um next year and it still feels like we're stuck in the mud a little bit and i think this year has brought some more positive developments but then within those positive developments i think there's also some things that are still concerning um so i just wanted to kind of lay the the history for those who maybe don't follow baseball in the same way that we do, but are still interested in this conversation or just to kind of place um, where we're at and why some of the angst is coming from the fan base, I think right now of all times. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think um, it honestly, what you said made me think a lot about um, the parallels kind of with the Red Sox as an organization that we have. Um, right That's a now. great point. And, and I want to frame that under the kind of this question of like, which I think is one of the central things that is being brought up by fans is, was this rebuild well considered? Was it, was it quote unquote rebuild? You know, but essentially the Farhan era and the reshuffling of the Tool? way that the org yeah. works. Yeah. Was the retool well executed essentially? And 
why I thought of Boston is not because uh, back when Panda was on the team that we would both stuff the ballots for the Red Sox and the Giants because they had a weird alliance, if you remember that in the mm-hmm. All-Star game, but because um, it reminds me a lot of um, Heim Bloom uh, going from the Rays to the Red Sox, um, another interdivisional uh, kind of front office switch there with a kind of similar desire, I feel like, from the front office to, you know, emulate the most successful um, and, you know, heavily statistically minded uh, front offices and combining it with the firepower of uh, a, you know, a top eight. I don't know exactly where, but like a top seven team to, um, to put together a real juggernaut. And there's a lot of parallels there that I don't know if they're instructive necessarily, but they're interesting to know, which is that in 2021, that was by far the best year in the tenure of both Bloom and Zaidi. Yeah. Um, the Red Sox won 92 games. We, of course, won 107, which is feels like a, a fever dream when we talk about it that way. But um, <laughs> that whole season felt like a fever dream. Yeah, but essentially, I mean, I'm looking at the records. I don't know exactly when uh, Bloom came into office or whatever, but they're like functionally a 500 team outside of that 2021 season, as as are we uh, functionally since that time. And there, when you look at this retool, part of it that has to be acknowledged is that um, they the ownership gave a lot of latitude to Farhan to do what he needed to do. But there was constraints there. He can't, he comes in and it's Bochi's last year and it's kind of these last vestiges of this championship era that are kind of slowly going away. They seem and to kind give of him a lot the, of... If I can interrupt real quick, and kind of the failed experiment of like trading for veterans and signing guys. I feel like Evan Longoria is kind of a poster child for this. So yeah. I just wanted to interject at that real quick, but keep going with your point. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the Bobby Evans era or whatever of, of Giants baseball. And, um, and, you know, again, he had the freedom to do what he wanted to do yet. There was, I feel like always the mandate from the ownership that they're like not going to do a, f- a full rebuild. And um, right. it was always going to be a retool. They want a competitive product on the field. And um, I think, they are also coming into a situation where, um, where there's a lot of emotional ties to some of the players on the field, um, and ultimately, starting from then, you know, some of the initial criticisms of of Farhan is, uh, you know, holding on to Bumgarner and Smith and only getting compensatory, compensation, whatever compensation <laughs> draft picks for them, um, <laughs> but ultimately, I don't know. Those things, those things kind of like they handled that as best as they could, but that was kind of like, you know, we'll give that a moot point, whatever. But then, and I, I don't think that they necessarily deserve like, um, grace for this, but like 2020 was a weird year for baseball over, you know, overall and trying to organizationally deal with stuff and the draft being cut, you know, you know, small and the season being small or whatever. But, um, that's when that was Kapler's first year, right? Was 2020. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of, I think, 
the period that we can really evaluate starting from 2020 forward. And um, I think what, and I think that there's fair criticisms of the result to this point, because even though we can really, I think that there's constraints in 2019, that's when it started and it's been five years of, of, of this process. And for me, there's like, like on the, uh, on the pro side for what has gone well, I think, or, or in a way that you evaluate it, I think I've seen fans compare, um, compare our rebuild to somebody like the Cubs, which is inevitable too, because we're just playing them and it's different. Like it just is different. Like, I think when you're able to like clean house and trade everybody and do a full rebuild thing, I've seen comparisons to the Orioles too. Mm-hmm. The Orioles have sucked for years. And so, yeah. and I just don't see if Giants fans are this mad at a 500 team right now, um, then like how mad would we have been for years watching years. just a crappy product yeah. on the field? And, you know, that kind of brings back this existential question of, would you rather see an 82 win team or would you rather, uh, you know, or would you rather just accept the suck and then go for, you know, bigger dream bigger afterwards? And that's kind of, that's kind of the question too. And I mean, it's, it's one that I don't think anybody can answer easily necessarily, but anyway, that's just where I want to say, if you embrace the suck, we don't get 2021, you know? Yeah. And it's like, even though, as we mentioned, it was kind of a fever dream and it it feels like an outlier now as we kind of look back on this tenure, that was still an incredible season. And we are a couple plays away from beating the Dodgers in a playoff series. And, and you know, that those produce some real, I don't know, peak moments uh, from a fan perspective for me. It's the last time we ever got to see Buster really produce at that level that you know, he became a, in my opinion, future Hall of Famer for producing at. Um, and so, but I think there is, I think, a shift a little bit with Posey's retirement. Not that he was, I mean, going into 2019, 2020, play in 2020, Posey wasn't necessarily the Posey from the early 2010s. Um but he was still that foundational piece. He was still that like clubhouse leader. And it does feel like we're a little directionless without him and trying to figure out who our star is. And I think this gets to a point that I think fans are really upset with. Um, and I think there are multiple kind of facets to this, but we don't have a marketable star right now who, if ESPN is, you know, we have actually tonight is Sunday night baseball on ESPN. Like who on the giants are they marketing? Is it Wilmer Flores? Cause I mean, he's played like one, but like, does the rest of baseball understand him to be this great player? And he's having a great yeah. season. I think he's still a, a really nice like depth piece and, and like, you know, he's a starter, but like we didn't go into the season and I don't think we're going to go into next season being like, well, we have Wilmer Flores who is going to hit 30 home runs and drive in X number of, you know. And so, and that wasn't the kind of guy that Posey was either. But he delivered from a defensive perspective, 
um, from a clubhouse perspective. And I think after Crawford's, you know, borderline MVP year um, in 2021, we thought that he might take that mantle. And I think this team in a lot of ways is in his kind of leadership and kind of image, so to speak. And I think that might be part of the problem ultimately as a 36 year old, um, you know, defense first shortstop. Um, yeah. He's having pretty rough injury riddled season this year. And then the last piece of this is we went out and tried to sign two bankable stars and those deals didn't work. Um, but I do think the like concept of star is, is part of what's going wrong. And I don't know if I understand enough to be able to blame or give credit to any one person for that or kind of throw up my hands and go, well, eventually it should come through or, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of things to examine there. Um, number one, when you look at this off season, um, the Korea and judge, you know, pursuits were obviously huge, huge parts of it. And I think that maybe it's, it's easy with the benefit of hindsight to be like judge was never leaving the Yankees and, and, but you know, you want, it's easy now to wonder like, was that even a well considered pursuit pursuit to be going after him to begin with? Um, and, um, and I don't regret it necessarily. I mean, like he, he would have been great on this team and like even, and I think that we've talked about him before, like, even though he's missed most of the season, he still like has three, four war or something like he just, when yeah. he's on the field, you rely on him. And, but also we have to consider that Correa was something that excited me, but he's been awful this year and kind of, however, a lot of sense. Better however, than any shortstop we've had this year. <laughs> that, that is true. I want to pull up his numbers just to, just to get a sense of it. But, um, let's see. Yeah, I mean it's true. As bad as he's been, he is hitting a right about league average, eighteen homers. Yeah, I mean, but, but we wouldn't anyway. have known in like a hypothetical, like if he does sign and he puts up these numbers with us, we would not have known that it would have been worse without him. And I think the fan base would have been just as angry, if not more angry, with a player who got paid all this money to not perform at a star level yeah well i think i think that leads to there's two two threads i want to examine one being mm -hmm. i think the way that we have that this organization has dealt with our legacy players um you know crawford belt and posey is who i'm con considering and i guess you could throw bumgarner in there too but i think that the way that we've um yeah, like thought about them and valued them, not we, but the front office has, I think has, I think decisions about all of them have been actually big, big shifts in, in the way that the team is set up. And I think that when you look at Posey, I think the front office was praying for him to be on the field in 2022 and weren't really prepared for what would happen if he wasn't. And so that's maybe a mark against them a little bit. I think that, but at the same time, 
they worked with him to extract the most possible value that he could get. He clearly was on his last legs in 2021. So I kind of, I, you know, it's, it's a wash there. I think with Belt, same deal, got, you know, Belt Crawford, they all, they, everything hit in 2021, literally, figuratively. Um, <laughs> and then it's just interesting this year to look at. And it's also, I wanted to say, when we look at players that go to other teams, you can't plug and play their stats onto what the Giants would be. It just it's that's disingenuous and like that's not actually how it worked. It can give you some idea, maybe, of like of the what he has left in the tank, so to speak. But exactly, like, or like yeah. the kind of the general decision making process. But you never know. Like Trey Turner has you know struggled with the Phillies for a lot of this season, and he is just finally turning it around. But you know, a lot of players, especially. You know, Correa maybe, well, he's kind of different because he already is with the Twins, but, um, you know, in your first year in a big contract, often those years are not your best year and then it's not second year. Whatever. All those things aside, I think that um, that the way we, that belt, Brandon, is on the Blue Jays right now, being a, such a clubhouse leader and producing for pennies on the dollar essentially and we're paying what is it 19 million to jock peterson to give back the value that he gives us by putting him in left field because our roster construction isn't great doesn't feel awesome and i'd say to you you know one of my I think that we we've been riding the the Farhan Gabe bandwagon for a while and 2021 was our golden goose to show that it's it's working, you know what I mean? But one of the first moments for me where I was like, hmm, was the way that they handled Crawford when Correa seemed impending felt bad because they didn't really have conversations with him in advance. It kind of it not to be doom and gloom about another Bay Area a sports team, but it reminds me of the way that it doesn't seem like the Warriors and Chris Paul have kind of talked about like what's going <laughs> to happen. Whether he's starting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it just feels like why would that not be a conversation that you have before the season? And I think, you know, then Crawford is then put in this position where he's, you know, going from functionally utility mentorship, the Donis Haslam guy, to having to be an integral part of this team this year. And it just doesn't yeah. feel like setting him up for success. And I think that the front office didn't really allow for the fact that, I don't know, that something might go wrong with Korea, which maybe maybe they're not in the wrong for. But I think that the way that they didn't really discuss that um, said something. And so, I don't know. And also, what I'll say about Buster, too, just last point, is that um, he... There's something interesting about him moving back to the Bay Area. Um, I don't know if people have seen this, but moving back to the Bay Area, you know, he's part of the ownership group a little bit. One of his best friends, Mark Hallberg, is our third base coach. And I wonder if there's... I don't know exactly what. I really don't understand front office politics at all. But I wonder if he is interested in taking a bigger role with this this team and directing it 
Um, because I think you're right. They really missed him and didn't really know how to replace him. And um, I think Patrick Bailey is great, but he's not Buster Posey at the end of the day. And I think that that's not a replaceable voice. So I wonder if they feel like he's one of those guys that they have to like have around or, and, or maybe he yeah. is seeing the, the direction that things have gone and has decided that he needs to step in in some way. So anyway. Or maybe <laughs> they just spent a little bit of time in Georgia and went, oh yeah, the Bay Area is pretty great. <laughs> Devil's advocate. Maybe. No, but I, I, maybe. I see what you're saying. I think that too. Um, but I think since Crawford started with the Giants, our shortstop position has been in flux behind him every year we've never had a yeah. capable backup we've never really had a future plan don't um, slander joaquin arias like <laughs> that <laughs> i would never jk what i would never <laughs> slander such a beautiful kobe bryant looking man um but i think the correa intention was for him to take that mantle from crawford like you were saying yeah. and it failed and we didn't really have a plan B. Um, and we're seeing that play out since August where, you know, we went after Paul DeYoung at the trade deadline, but we didn't want to give up what the Blue Jays gave up. He was horrible for them, got released. We picked him up. And so it was kind of this like, oh, Farhan's playing 4D chess. I feel like you and I made some of those jokes. We like got the guy we wanted and didn't have to pay anything or didn't have to give up a prospect or anything. And aside from one phenomenal game in Philadelphia, DeYoung's been kind of like Crawford. Good glove, you know, will work a good count, but isn't really producing much at the plate. And it, I think, comes back to some injury stuff that has affected, I think, the development of some of our quote-unquote more bankable stars on our team. Um, and if Luciano hadn't gotten hurt, maybe he's maybe he's been playing shortstop for the last month and maybe he's made a difference or at least given us some clarity on what that position looks like. And yeah, truthfully, I mean, our power has been so lackluster for three months now. That's one of the things that he has in abundance that few other Giants prospects have. Um, so I think it's a real shame and that's nothing that Kapler and Farhan can control except for the fact that he was up for like five games and then they sent him back down. And I thought that that piece, and we talked about it at the time because I mean, I am so excited for this kid. I think he is our pathway to kind of sustainable success, uh, especially from the player or the position player side. Um, and I defended it at the time. I'd rather have him up in the big leagues for five days than not get brought up at all. Um, but the shortstop position, just plugging more veterans there and trying to make it work just feels like band-aids that are, you know, trying to cover up a, an entire like water leak, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't. And I really solve that yeah yeah and i mean as we've definitely discussed on this like your performance in the minors does not indicate major league success necessarily it's a it's it's one of many factors that you evaluate to see whether somebody's ready and 
that's definitely something that I've been hearing and reading about is, you know, what is, who do we reward with a major league roster spot? And um, we obviously both are fans of Wade Meckler for sure. I, there's, I've definitely seen criticisms from multiple people, including Roger Munter. I think I've mentioned this before, but like Mm -hmm. did, does Ramos deserve to have ridden the bus so much between MLB and um, and Triple A as as much as he has? And um, you know, you look at the shortstop position too. You wonder about Tyler Fitzgerald um, if he mm-hmm. maybe had an opportunity, and maybe Meckler was rust, and if maybe the front office was feeling defensive about that, and that's why Kapler came out in defensive uh, of him too. And um, but I I, I think. You know, just this idea of marquee players too. And, and and also, I agree that I think the injury of Luciano was a big deal. I think also Harrison's injury is a little bit underrated in the sense of things look, felt different at the tra- trade deadline. It was like, okay, this is a nice time to breathe and we can kind of come or from, you know, the break and come back and replenish and bring in some other people they're talking about the front office was doing. But I think... If Harrison comes in a little earlier in the year, and obviously the results would be mixed for sure. I understand that. But I think he stabilizes the rotation a little bit, which has domino effects on the bullpen, which has domino effects on everything because I don't know. So I want to acknowledge that too. But with marquee players, and I think this has been such a big discussion for the Giants in the last however many years is like, when are we going to get a star player that you can put on the poster and do all this stuff? And I I don't think that it's it's not just a marketing thing. It's think about the Dodgers this year, who are at you know the Death Star is fully operational again for them. Name two name other players that are having great years for them <laughs> besides Freeman and Betts. Like literally, like it's they've that they have powered that team not single handedly. I know that they have other important parts as well. No, but, but the rest of their roster is similar to ours. It's guys like. Jason Hayward, who's having a like renaissance year, but isn't expected to be an everyday player, but fits a role perfectly. It's David yeah. Peralta, who's bounced around for a while, but has found a nice role for them. Uh, Miguel Rojas is another one. It's like these guys are not any different than J.D. Davis, Jock, Wilmer. You know, I think they're in that same line, but we don't have a Mookie and Freddie Freeman. And yeah. how do we how do we get our Mookie? I want Mookie. <laughs> <laughs> I think we maybe should have just gotten Mookie, but um, I think. Uh, but we didn't have it, the prospects at the time, too. That's yeah, the other that's thing true. is like this this train needed to like develop over time, and we have that yeah. prospect po- pipeline more so than we've ever had. And like, yeah. if that guy was available this off season, if Mookie was available this off season, we would be able to go kind of full in if. Juan yeah. Soto was available at this past deadline this year, we would have been able to go all in more. And this year, I think there are starting to be rumors about Pete Alonso being that guy, but he's not, at least defensively, like the position or like, I think this, the Giants front office is very clearly like motivated by positional versatility and and I mean, frankly, I think Lamont Wade has been very solid as a first baseman. Um, I don't yeah. think he's the problem necessarily. 
So yeah. it's also where like, do we find the star and where do we plug it? It's yeah. yeah. I mean, how many how many first baseman, left fielder, DH types do we need on one team? Like really not oh that many. God, I know. <laughs> and, yeah. And so I I think, but the thing, and I know we've talked about this before, but the thing with a player, especially somebody like Freddie Freeman, is the consistency that you get from him. Mm-hmm. Is that even, and I'm sure he has his, you know, his little down moments here and there throughout the season. The season is long. But I think what you're saying is like that the roster construction is not so different to the Giants, especially right now. I think when the team had Seeger and Turner and was constructed in this way, it's a little bit different. Like that's like unattainable for us. But I think this mold, not like, I'm not saying it can happen in this off season, but I think is something that we can do. And I think that um, this front office is very capable of identifying value, um, but not necessarily, but it's, but it's all about like extracting kind of, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just getting the best out of this, but it's not necessarily like these guys that you can just put in there and plug in the lineup and just be like, even if everything else goes to hell, we have these guys that are kind of anchoring things down. And I think that, so when, when I think you make a good point when you talk about the prospect capital that we did not have to land some of these guys earlier. And I think part of that calculus too has to be acknowledging that our farm system is becoming increasingly Farhani and <laughs> there's a lot of holdovers from the previous administ- administration um, that that like that have not been hit or maybe have not been managed right or I don't know and there's been and it's hard to you know it's still early to evaluate some uh, players from Farhan's drafts too but it's like you wonder about Hunter Bishop or you know players like this that have kind of like um, not really stood out yet in the minors, but um, I think that there's I, something. Something I thought about was like, um, what's the freaking Pete Putilla, whatever that guy's name is, the yeah, who's ostensibly general the manager GM, <laughs> which is not so ostensibly. Funny that that's, that's his title. No, <laughs> that's his title. But like, I feel like these days it's like mean. I mean, like to hear nothing from a GM the whole year is. It really speaks to how baseball has in terms of front mm-hmm. dynamics. But um, I think he was brought in to rectify maybe some of these scouting and development issues that we've had. And um, what I saw in Bags's mailbag was that he's been quiet because he's just been like kind of like not, I think he's been looking at more process things and like not necessarily in the nitty gritty of it every day. So you wonder what will happen in but, the next few years, but yeah. And I, I think that's a really great point that I want to piggyback on is like if the athletic commenters, the Twitter X, whatever you call it, Giants fans, um, if Giants fans who are so angry and want Farhan gone, yeah, get their wish, so to speak, it just sets the organization back again, is my ultimate opinion, is like the only way to build off this is to appreciate okay some of these things have not worked and how do we change that but build off what has worked because i mean we have three guys who from that 2020 draft are 
going to be staples of our team, it feels like. I mean, Schmidt has looked really good lately um, at the plate. Defensively, he's kind of been a little wonky, but I actually trust that more than the bat. So, um, And then Bailey, we talked about. Harrison, we've talked about. But those three guys are like staples. Um, but you're right. I mean, we've missed on some draft picks and some prospects. Um, but I think we have to give it time, which if we look up four years from now and we continue to be an 82 win team, yeah, then I'll eat crow. I'll, I'll gladly say that I was wrong about all this, but I just don't think the process not working is also a reason to go. All right. We have to throw it all in the garbage. Like you were referencing earlier, we have to tank. We have to be the Orioles so that six years from now we'll have, you know, the best prospects in baseball. I just don't think a that's something that our ownership is willing to do. And B, I just don't think that's a fun way to enjoy a team. Even if this season hasn't yielded the results we wanted, I would still much prefer a team continuing to try to plug holes and find, find guys. I mean, we've done it with Yastrzemski, with, with Estrada, with Wade, not Meckler. Lamont. Um, and I think the process is correct. It's just that player development piece has to happen or else this is just not sustainable. And then we're going to be signing guys like Stripling, Alex Wood, um, Conforto, Hanniger, who are like fine players. But when we sign them to these, you know, free agent deals and that's all that we do, quote unquote, it just looks bad when these guys aren't our best players. But I don't think they are supposed to be or they're not capable of being that. So they're just we're kind of set up to fail, I guess. Yeah. Well, I I think I think it's like, you know, let's go back to the Dodgers. It's. You know, I feel like when I think about the way that the Dodgers operate the last however many years is they would do what we did this offseason, too. They'd sign. I mean, Stripling was literally a Dodger. They'd sign Manaya. They they get all these these guys, these reclamation pr- kind of projects, with the hopes that they can that they can come in and be those four or five guys, maybe eventually down the line, or make them swingmen or whatever. But then it's like you have Kershaw or Bueller or Arias, right? Um, before Ooh. that, and um, and it would just change change how the valuation of those players, and I think that. You know, we we just have lots of these guys that are um, that are experiments, and like we keep having yeah. to do experiments because um, yeah. because we're you know using veterans to like fill spaces, and I think you know I think there's also kind of a philosophical thing of like what is what is the value of trying. I guess just conceptually, it's like um, the angels quote unquote try the Rockies quote unquote try. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it's right. like, it's, it's misguided in, in the way that it um, ends up. And, you know, I think, but, and while all these things are true, I think we have to also look at the um, realities of the logistics of this season specifically. Um, talk about the deadline. Um, I think that's, you know, I think AJ Paul and Mark Matthias enraged a lot of people, me a little bit included, but also 
I just I went through before we recorded today and looked at all the major um, uh, trades that happened at the deadline this year. And of the guys that are giving really any value, it's Jordan Montgomery, Jake Berger, and Mark Canna. Do you know what I mean? Like, these are not guys yeah. that, like, move the needle in a major way. I do want to acknowledge at the same time that sometimes deadlines, I think, are... It's a real time of messaging from the front office to hmm. be to the players on the field. And I think that ultimately, I don't necessarily think that... Um, I think there's a case to be made that like paving the way for Harrison to come in and be a part of the rotation was good. And like that they, that not getting a starter, you know, that's, I think, you know, Montgomery. Yeah. Yeah. Like Webb had texted Harrison being like, they're, they're going to need you. You know what I mean? Like this is a good sign. So there's something positive in that. Um, Could we have used another starter still? I don't know. Maybe I think probably. And I'd say to you that I think it just kind of just like, this thing of when you get a new guy in at the deadline, it's just like the front office believes in what we're doing. I think it's a different thing. And AJ Pollock was never that guy. And so I think that you right. lose out on that aspect of things a little bit. Like he's another one of these reclamation project type mm-hmm. people who like, um, so I think that there's something to that as well, potentially, but um, it's hard to yeah. really re-legislate it. And then, you know, looking forward to is what what happens this offseason. Uh, the position player list is thin. Uh, you mentioned Alonzo, obviously. Otani's there, but like, are those guys realistically like the the thing that's going to move the needle for us in a certain way? And, and I don't youth. know. And so, yeah, and it's, it's the, youth. the youth. I do want to say about the youth too, it's, I would love nothing more than to see Matos, Harrison, Bailey in Giants uniforms for a long time. And I also think that that is not guaranteed too. I just, right. I, I want to go out there and say like, I think Bailey seems like he has the stickiest skills year to year that are really going to translate, but Schmidt might work. You know, Matos might work. Luciano still, as much as he, we think that it might work, it might work. You know what I mean? And like, I think that that's always going to be the case with these guys. And well, and I want to take that point. Yeah. That's the fallacy of, of all of this is no one knows anything. Commenters (laughs) on the athletic can be our callers. No one knows anything. Everyone is like, Oh, they failed at this. They failed at that. And it's like, we only know that because it didn't work. But I think I still hold true that like the process to these things is validated even with results being mixed. And I think mixed is way better than 70 win team every year. I mean, at least Farhan has demonstrated the ability to get us to like a 500 club every year. Um, And he will tinker. He will, he's not satisfied to just go, our opening day roster is our opening day roster. And I think that aspect is enraged folks because you go, all right, well, whose Jersey am I going to buy? Who, you know, who's the guy on the team that I'm, you know, excited to go to the ballpark to see. And I think we're still figuring that part out, but 
um, I do think the tinkering and the the roster building and and their like internal and external player evaluations have been proven correct a lot of times. And I don't know. I it's, yeah, it's hard to say trust the process, but like yeah, we don't know that these things are going to work or whatever alternative would work either. It's just you know, it is. Yeah, what it is, I think I guess. it's a, a fair point and. Um, it's not my original thought, but Bags had mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of criticisms about, uh, you know, these guys are too statistically analytically driven or whatever. And I think that, um, there's two sides of that. One of them is that probably this year we don't win as many. We are not like even in the wild card consideration if we aren't as proactively managed as we have been and you know really trying to extract as much value as possible to like try to eke out every win and on the flip side of that i think is i think there's questions about buy-in of the team into different strategies i think that in 2021 you saw buy-in across the board but when you have i don't know when you have Belt and Crawford and Posey hitting and Darren Ruff is mashing and did you know, like when players are playing well, buying is winning cures is all part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that as the wheels have come off this year, I think you see this some discontent within the team of the way that things are done on some level. Um, and I think that that is, you know. You don't have to listen to Gabe Kapler talk for long to understand that he is not a normal person. He is his <laughs> own brand of thing. Do you know what I mean? He is he is like kind of like as human as C3PO is kind of like he has many <laughs> human like qualities, but he he ultimately is going to do what he thinks is best at the end of the day. And I think that um, he has made huge improvements as a manager. And there's also certain decisions that that come up where it's like, was this worth it? You know, these this this idea of scraping at the margins, not scraping, but like trying to collect value at the margins. I think maybe sometimes feels like it's scraping at the margins to like just extract and, you know, optimize. But I think it's kind of like this idea of when you're optimizing and kind of like doing that type of stuff works better. And and this kind of goes across many of the themes that we discussed today, but it works better when there's things are when things are already working and then you're kind of just like and then you're just putting cherries on top and building the whole thing but at least there's like this core thing that you can build around and um you know i think i think there was why fans feel this way right now is because they've gone through the roster churn um they've gone through you know just mediocre lots of mediocre baseball and I think that I maybe agree that like 500 baseball is not interesting. And just because yeah. MLB says that there's another postseason spot doesn't necessarily mean that like we are 
anywhere close to like, I don't know. I, I feel like in our division right now, I put, even though the record is, be- is worse, I put the Padres, D-backs, Dodgers all ahead of us in terms of where they are. Um, and yeah, anyway, I think, I think that we have a lot of open-ended questions that we, that we uh, asked today. We're not qualified um, to solve or answer, so. Yeah, obviously. Um, I think, I think as always, like we try to do, I think, I feel like when looking at it, I feel like we, we are not members of the San Francisco Giants. We are not members of the front office. We do not, we are not on the field. We do not have a crystal ball. And I think that some fans operate thinking that one or all of those things are true for them and it's just not you just you just don't know we we don't know better um i think what fans have a right to want is a competitive product i think i think fans are right to want to see this team make the playoffs and go deep into it and i just also want to say that like it is uh it's hard to run a baseball team and it is, um, you know, the Yankees have Aaron judge. Are they doing much better than us right now? I don't, <laughs> they have, they have their doing own a issue, lot worse. I mean, yeah. Frankly like, worse. Yeah. You know, the Cardinals look at the Cardinals season this year, the kind of in a similar catcherless legacy catcherless situation. They, mm-hmm. um, are lost. A loss of loss at the wheel, White Sox. You know, there's so many te- at, for at, for every success story in this league. There's a counter thing. The Rangers were the the winners of the off season and blah 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 all this stuff, and now they're fading in fading in the standings when it matters. And so, baseball is like an almost laughably hard sport to execute on every you know for everything to hit for you the whole year to be put yourself in the right situation. And then if you get in the playoffs, there's only one person that ends up on top at the end of the day. So just want to like reground and that that is true and that there's, I think positive things to take away from this season. And I don't think that it really is enjoyable to be thinking about things in the doom and gloom way. Um, yeah. moving forward. I think that for me personally, last thought I want to share is like, I think I want to see this process work. I feel like, Farhan has the option for 2024. I think that's what he gets. Um, and then after that, I'm not sure. I think I don't think fans will accept another year of this, nor will a front office of like these type of results. So I do think next year ends up being a show me year for Farhan and Cap both. Um, ultimately, is where I'd guess. And I think that feels fair. I think they've earned it. And I think fans have also earned a right to be like, when are we going to see a result? So I don't think it's worth giving up, but I think we got to, something's got to happen, I think, next year. And so they, they, they better be going through the depth list and trying to find that next Jastrzemski or something, because uh, I think that's the only re- way that we can get, you know, where we need to go next year. Well said. Well, we've gone a little bit longer than we intended today, but there are a lot of parts to this. So, um, but I'm happy with this discussion. If, any of you listening have any other thoughts, uh, hit us up on, I think mostly we're using Instagram these days, um, but text us, tweet us, X us, whatever. 
Text um, us. I'm at 415. Um, no, we also <laughs> do have a Twitter X thing um, at Foggy Seagull that uh, Clark uses occasionally. So feel free to communicate with us there. Let us know. I mean, like, let's share in this anger, but let's also share in, in hope and joy at the same time. I think that's, that's the idea. Um, and you Amen. know what? They're not dead yet. The Giants aren't dead yet. So let's uh, let's hope we can sweep the Guardians as well and hold on for <laughs> one more week. Uh, let's see. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, we will see you next week for another episode of Foggy with a Chance of Seagulls. Caw-caw. Later.